So You Think You Want to Work in TV is brought to you by you. That's right. You guys support this podcast, and I rely on your donations to keep this train a-going. So please, go to so you think you want to work in TV.com, click on that upper left-hand corner where it says Donate, and make a one-time donation, or visit our Patreon and become a monthly subscriber where you will absolutely get exclusive content. So uh, become a supporter, won't you? You know you want to. Here we are, you guys. I got power. I've got power. We um, are having a heat wave still in LA. It's actually cooled down today, but after I lost power last week and and, uh, we lost it some more. I mean, come on, Los Angeles. What's going on? It's hot as shit in Vegas. It's hot as shit in Arizona. They never lose power. What's our problem? We need to move to alternative energy. Happy Monday, everybody. This is a great episode. My friend Chris Regan is on the show. This is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say it again. This is why I like doing this podcast. I've known Chris for a long time, had no idea that he had four Emmys and two Peabody Awards. Like, how do you, how are you friends with somebody and not know that about them? I mean, it's not like we hung out like all the time, but. We have a really close mutual friend who we went to college with, and um, I don't know, man. I, I, I had no idea. So I, I had, I, I told him on the podcast, I'm like, you are the most decorated guest I've ever had in my apartment. Um, he's such a great guy. He's got really great stories. He's a writer. Uh, he won those Emmys and Peabody's writing for The Daily Show. Now he's a guy. Uh, a guy. He's a guy. Now he's just a guy. No, now he's a writer on Family Guy. And um, we have a really delightful chat. And the bonus content is kind of amazing. So if you're not a patron, you might want to be. Uh, you don't get the bonus content unless you uh, subscribe at the $5 level. Although I am starting to release old bonus content for uh, patrons who subscribe at any level, just because, you know, I want you to get a taste of what you're going to get for your for your moolah. Um, make sure you follow me on all my socials. No one's doing it. Why? There's a lot of you listening, and no one's following me on Twitter. Why? It's at WorkTV on Twitter. Uh, on Instagram, it's so you, just the letter U, wanna work in TV, I think. Oh, my God, you guys. I don't even know my Twitter handles. Just fucking find it. I'm not even going to... I picked up my phone. I'm putting it back down. Just find it. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Um, you can c- come join our closed Facebook group or, or just actually just like the page. I think you're not supposed to be in the Facebook group unless you're a patron. But I think there's a few in there who aren't patrons, but it's fine. Um, but you can also make a one-time donation if you want. If you go to my website, so you think you wanna, and, and it's W-A-N-N-A because I didn't register the right URL because... I was so excited that I wasn't paying attention. Um, and on the front of the page, it's like you can, there are links to all of my socials. So if you you can go like everything right there, right underneath the title, underneath my face, there are links to all of my socials. So fucking get on that. And then right underneath, there's a PayPal button. So if you'd rather just make a one-time donation, do it. Um, okay, you guys, this is this is it. It's Monday. I By the way, Last thing I'm going to say, you can also go to my website, IamSharonHouston.com. I've got a bunch of shows this week and next, so come see them. Um, And I start work on a new TV show on Monday for Epics. It's about comedians. I have no idea which comics uh, we're going to feature. I hope 
Some of them are friends of mine. Uh, and I'll get to travel. So uh, you'll be hearing this show from the road, baby. Can you guys hear that? Let me look at my levels. You might have been able to hear that. I'm, I'm going to try to pump up the audio when I edit this. Really low-flying helicopter. Okay, there are choppers in L.A. all the time. This is true. This, that's not a... a a myth or a fable, and I happen to be on a flight path. So not only do I have cops always looking for robbers, I also have them flying over me to go look for robbers because I'm on a flight path. Like th when I first moved here, the helicopters used to scare the shit out of me and I wouldn't be able to sleep. Now at night when there's a helicopter, it's like white noise and it knocks me right out. Isn't that crazy? God. Lived here for too long, you guys. All right, get to know my friend Chris Regan. He's the bomb. Thanks for coming to my apartment. Sure, absolutely. You're the first. Uh, um, you're the first five-time Emmy Award-winning, and you have two Peabodies. I do. You're the first. Per you're the first. Mo you're the most decorated person I've ever had in my apartment. Oh, that's uh, that's exciting! <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, that, that's uh, the the dog is not impressed. Nobody uh, at home can see that, but the dog is taking a very deep nap, just feet away from us. Yeah. But, but thank you. That's, that's very kind of you. So tell the audience uh, a little bit about you. Even though I talk about you in the intro before we get into this stuff, but okay. I want to hear it from you. Sure. Um, I'm a writer. I'm a comedy writer. I've been in Los Angeles for ten years. Before that, I was in New York for all of my career. I wrote on the Daily Show for seven years. Um, I was John's first hire after he took over from Craig Kilborn. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's where all the Emmys and the Peabody's came in. Um, the rest of the career, uh, the awards have been a little light, but um, <laughs> a lot of the work actually has been a bit more fun. But yeah, I was there for about seven years, and then I left there because uh, I had a couple of deals. Um, I sold a pilot, and then I had a book deal. And the pilot didn't go, and the book was a big flop. But then I wound up out here in Los Angeles around that time. And I worked on a whole bunch of shows, most of which got canceled after the first or second season. And then I wound up on Family Guy just about five years ago. I think five years ago this week. So I think I'm in my sixth season. Yeah. Um, we're now writing season 17. I think season 15. Oh. I think, hey, Stanley. I think um, season, uh, Simpsons fan, um, I think season 15 just aired, but we do, uh, we do, we write way in advance in animation. Oh, yeah, that's right, because there's so much work to do. Yeah. Do it, you guys send the animation out of house to another country? Uh, we do some of it here. There's the, uh, the the black and white animatic, which is kind of the crude version up top. That's done here in, in house. And then the color version is sent off to Korea. And then it comes back, and then we fix some stuff here, and then it goes back to Korea. It's kind of a back-and-forth thing. Not all of it is done in Korea. That's how MTV Animation did it. Really? Yeah, with some of the shows. Yeah, they would do animatics. Okay. And in, in the case of one show, they loved the way that the animatic looked so much, that ended up being the show. They it, didn't even animate it. Animatics have this kind of unique look that sometimes things are funnier and animatic than they are when everything is all nice and polished and clean. Yeah. And you kind of wonder, oh, what happened? Like, well, it was that kind of fun, jittery, animatic version that made the joke work. And then when it's all glossy and fancy, it's like, oh, that kind of laid there. Uh, the, so explain to the audience what an animatic is. I mean, you and I know what it is, but... Oh, sure. Um, well, each Family Guy episode, it takes about a year and a half altogether between writing and getting on the air. Every episode? About that. 
Yeah. A year and a half for one episode. Pretty much. Holy shit. Yeah. But, you know, we, we have a lot in the pipeline. But um, you write the first episode, then you have the table read, and you see how that goes. That, that's done around the table in front of animators and guests and things like that. We sometimes have celebrity guests, which are pretty funny. One time the band Styx came by That's and sat in. fucking incredible. <laughs> How did you focus with Styx in the room? <laughs> well, I was the only... Because they came in, and there were some younger writers than me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm 51. And all the younger writers turned to me, knowing that I would know who those guys were. And I just leaned forward and whispered, Styx. Um, <laughs> and four of six sat down. You know, they, and uh, they seemed to really enjoy themselves. But uh, yeah, yeah, we had the table read. And uh, and I remember Slash was there one time too, and we had a joke in about cheap trick, and it was it was a joke that I had pitched, and I was waiting to see like I wanted to look over to them to him to see if he would react at a cheap trick joke. Nothing. Oh like, Jesus! Absolute silence. But uh, yeah, you have the animatic people laugh at it or they don't laugh, and then you do fixes and you spend the day or two fixing up the. I'm sorry, the script. Um, after the table read. And then that script is sent off to Animatic, and that's in-house, and it is a black-and-white version of the episode you'll see. It's pretty rough. Um, the mouths don't quite move in accordance to like the, the dialogue, but all the dialogue is recorded by the actors at that point. And, you know, it's a pretty clean run of dialogue underneath and very crude animated version. So, And then you watch that again with the same people that you had the table read in front of and then you see how that worked and then you go and you fix that and add new stuff take stuff out then it goes off to korea and a couple months later comes back as that color version and you kind of go through it again but at that point there's only so much you can do do you think that because it takes a year just to make one episode is that why fox is so committed to their animate because i feel like fox is three networks it's sports it's animation and it's reality. Like their scripted yeah. shows, even though they have good scripted shows on air and have had successful ones, nobody really thinks of Fox as like, oh, I got to watch Fox because they've got, they don't have a Grey's Anatomy. They don't have a, they don't have a block where people just watch for scripted. Yeah, you know, they have nights like, um, you know, Gotham was a pretty popular show for a while and, and they have Empire. I don't right. know. Empire's the only one. I mean, I don't know anybody who watches um, American Girl, Cute Girl, Fall Girl, oh, Supergirl. What is that? You know, the one know with um, uh, with uh, uh, the Deschanel. Oh, the the new girl. The new girl. Yeah, but that was like six seasons. That that, that ran for a good long time. It, it did, but it, and, and they've had, that's what I mean. They've had successful scripted, but I don't mm -hmm. ever think of Fox for scripted. I think of Bob's Burgers yeah. and I think of Family Guy. Yeah, I think of the Simpsons. You know, they've, uh, it's, it's that weird period in TV where everybody's having having some growing pains. Well, right now, for sure. Yeah, but but the animation has always been a pretty solid thing for them, at least us in The Simpsons. I mean, there used to be Sunday Night at one time was entirely all animation with Cleveland and American Dad. and I loved Cleveland. It's a good show. And uh, that, that, that was on four seasons, and that's syndicated everywhere. And American Dad's still on on TBS. It jumped from Fox over to that. What was our point? The point is, oh, is about <laughs> yeah, like do I mean, do, do you th from your experience, and I don't know how much information you get from development execs or whatever mm -hmm. as a as a staff writer, but do you think that Fox commits more quickly to Family Guy, knowing like to to renew it for season after season? Despite, I mean, it is it, it gets good great ratings, but it, even if it just did okay in the ratings, would they be more qu more quick to pull the trigger to renew the series, knowing that it takes so long to produce it? You know, it's weird. The first run, I don't think, really matters anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, like it, nothing is appointment TV anymore. Um, 
the show, but the show does so well in streaming and in repeats and syndication. Like uh, two seasons ago, I wrote an episode that was a season premiere, and I went to Twitter to see, you know, how excited the kids were. And all the kids were writing about how on that day, Netflix had dropped the previous season all at once. So everybody was really stoked to be watching last year's shows that day, rather than building up to watching our new show for the new season that evening. Oh, wow. So, I mean, the fact that it has that much uh, heat on it in repeats means that, you know, it's it's a money-making show. And, uh, you know, I think it's still a good show. Um, Our fans on Reddit and other places still think it's a good show. And, uh, you know, I I think they they know a good thing when they have one, and especially in this day and age when everything in scripted is so crazy and weird. And if you're going to have something that works, like Family Guy and The Simpsons, hold on to it for, you know, hold on with both hands. Do you still, okay, first of all, having a sweet WGA staff writing job Mm -hmm. that you know is going to go seasons and seasons, it must take so much pressure off of that freelance, like, Oh my God! I hope Lopez tonight doesn't get canceled. Or there's, you know what I mean? Like working, isn't it? Oh. How do you feel creatively? Are you fulfilled, even though you're making, you're probably making bank and you're secure and you can breathe? But how, do you still feel creatively fulfilled? And are you still driven to create TV shows and try to get more deals? I'm very, very, very creatively fulfilled. I really enjoy working there, and I like the people I work with. I like the work we do. I like the show. But every year, I do try to sell something just on the side to kind of this desire that you should run something one of these days. I don't know if it's, you know, the biggest burning desire. Um, but last year I, sh- I sold an animated show to TBS that didn't go. And um, two, two years before that, there was something I sold to Nickelodeon. And, you know, it's nice to have a sale here and there and to have something that you're, you know, basically whether it lives or dies, it's on you. Um a lot of times it dies. <laughs> Last <laughs> week I went out and I had five pitch meetings for a new sitcom idea. And yesterday I found out that they were all passes. So, I, But it's great to have Family Guy to fall back on. I mean, I could get fired from Family Guy. I mean, I don't think anything is... Uh, I think a, a tremendous mistake any writer makes is thinking that they have a civil service job. Right. That it'll go on forever and ever and ever and ever. You know, people die. <laughs> um, uh, people decide to quit things. And... Especially in, because before Family Guy, I spent my entire career in late night TV. And sometimes people in late night just get so reliant on that guy, and mostly a guy, uh, uh, in front of the camera. And, you know, their identities get so tied up in that person that they have a little difficulty doing things outside of that. And, uh, yeah, I never want to be in a position where I'm relying on one particular talent person Um in my career. That's why I try to go out and try to do different things and, you know, do passion projects yes, and things like that. As they call them. Um, but, uh, but no, I'm, I, I'm, if none of that works out, I'm very happy to be at family guy for, because there are so many different things that I enjoy doing that kind of wind up on family guy. Cause there's a sketch background to it and mm-hmm. there's just a hard joke background to it. And there's fun stories and characters and it's, yeah. And with animation, even though animators will, disagree with this uh there are so many different crazy things you can do and uh i learned pretty quickly that uh they can't do everything (laughs) Um, uh, what was one thing that you tried to make them do and they were like we can't do that chris oh well not to me in particular but we had a cutaway a couple of years ago 
about a war between the owls and the wasps. And <laughs> we set up this big kind of Braveheart scene and then stopped it halfway through. And it was kind of a meta joke saying, and the animators wouldn't let us do it, you know, just because it becomes so huge. And like I had an episode um, that's going to be on this season. They sometimes get backed up. Uh, but where there was, it ends with a big parade scene and a disaster at the parade. And earlier there's Peter at a, um, oh, I shouldn't give away that many spoilers, but earlier, like there is a scene in a baseball stadium and there were a lot of crowd scenes. And I, you know, just naively, I didn't think, oh, whatever, you know, you, you just scratch, you, you just do your pencil on paper, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're you're going to erase stuff. Yeah, whatever. Stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I realized that, oh, no, all that's very hard because they have to design characters and, you know, do all that movement. And I'm sure any real animator listening to this wants to reach through their iPhone and punch me right now right. For, for, for my naivete. <laughs> but um, yeah, you can't do everything. And sometimes they do put their foot down and, uh, and say, we're not doing that. Do the animators work in house with you guys or are they at a different location? No, they're, they're, they're on our same floor. Oh, that's fabulous. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I'll tell you another thing that's great about that gig and why you should probably keep it. Easy commute. Yep. Oh, yeah. And there's a Starbucks across the street. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean... There's a coffee bean and tea leaf in the building now. Oh, there mm -hmm. is? But the calendars is closing across the way. Is it really? Yeah, they, they, they doubled their rent. Why and did they do that? I, I, I love getting the Impossible Burger there. That's my <laughs> counter. That's the counter that I go to. And they're enormous, enormous, very, very dry uh, uh, cornbread. Yeah, I, I like that counter. I love that counter. And you got the tar pits. It's a nice... Uh, toxic can, walk yeah you can go on a speed walk and get cancer at the same time but it's no it's it's yeah equinox is right there i'm gonna oh i i don't go in there oh. um <laughs> too many beautiful people but uh but no i'm gonna hold on i i i really love the job and it's i've rarely had a job where i could say i really love the job yeah but i really love the job so uh i i do want to ask one personal thing about the job mm -hmm. our friend john viner he's a writer on the show correct uh-huh do you really like working with him i like john viner <laughs> i love him but he, he's when he gets mad it's the greatest thing that's ever happened oh I, absolutely i just uh i was sitting next to him at a roulette table for quite some time recently in <laughs> las vegas and saw some of that but no he's great he's really quick um, he's he, so smart. Yeah, yeah. And like I've known John for over 20 years or so. Like, you know, he lives right down the street. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, he moved. He moved? Yeah. I had a feeling. I saw moving trucks, and I'm like, is, is Viner moving or yeah. is someone moving? Is he, is he moving another model in? <laughs> uh, no, no. Well, I'm, I'm not going to give too much location about a, a, a friend's address in case he has stalkers. Right. But um, my first season there, he wasn't there because he had gone to do uh, some other stuff. But he comes back occasionally and I realize, oh, boy, he really gets the show and he's very good at it. Yeah. So. Um, did, are you one of those Seth MacFarlane guys? There's all, you know, everybody calls people who work on Family Guy mm -hmm. one of Seth MacFarlane's guys. Okay. First off, how many women are on your writing staff? Uh, three. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, are you one of Seth's guys, I'm making air quotes everybody, that writes for him when he does the Oscars or writes for him when he does other things? Um, occasionally. Mm -hmm. um, my first job working with him, I wrote some stuff for the Oscars before I started on Family Guy. Oh, nice. And Alex Sulkin had given him my name. And uh, I just spoke to him on the phone, emailed him a bunch of stuff and got some stuff on the air. 
And, uh, and I've written for, I helped out with the PBS special about Frank Sinatra. I loved that special. That he did, the 100th anniversary. Yeah, it I worked on so that. It was so good. Yeah. And, you know, just some personal appearance, roasty kind of stuff and uh, uh, things like that. He's lucky to have you because you have so much late night experience. Yeah, but, I'm, but he has, I mean, a lot of the guys uh, work in that capacity for him as well. But, mm-hmm. uh, but no, he's a really great, generous boss. And before I started working on Family Guy, he would retweet me. And that, that did a lot for my Twitter profile. Back in the days when something happened with your tw- Twitter profile, I think everybody's just kind of topped out now. I don't think... I, no, I think you need to post something with a kitten doing something really special with you or... That's or sure. it's got to be uber political, like a super burn, and then one of the guys from Crooked Media retweets you. Like I don't know how it happens. Now. Yeah, the only heat I've ever gotten really is from retweets from Seth. You know, oh really? He, yeah, he has some pretty engaged, active followers. Well, and I mean, people who are into animation are fucking nerds for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they lose their mind, and that's why there's Comic Con. Because it's yes. you know people are into animation and sci-fi and you know so it makes sense that his fans would be like super loyal, super dedicated, and a little bit rabid. Yeah, I've never been to Comic Con. I know it's next week. I have been to Comic Con. Yeah, it's craziness. It's so corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's fun. It's fun if you get a good hotel room and it's you know you it's great people watching. It's kind of like do you know what the Folsom Street Fair is? No. Okay, in San Francisco in the fall, it's in September, they have this thing called the Folsom Street Fair where they block off uh, the areas called the Tenderloin. They block off streets on Folsom Street Mm -hmm. in the Tenderloin, and it's a huge S&M festival. I saw something so disturbing that I threw up in an alley. No way. Yeah. So it's kind of like I'll bet that, that would ha- happen at Comic-Con, too. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's like that, <laughs> but it's comics. Like, it's so fringe, but it's so the cosplay and the weirdness and the, you know, it's weird. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't even know what after parties would be like there. Like, if you were an insider in Comic-Con, it's probably horrifying. That's just, I'm making that up, but that's what I think it is. Yeah, I mean, it's funny I'm off next week. I, I don't know. I guess it'll this, take you forever to get there. I don't know if you can even get a flight to San Diego. Yeah, and I imagine at this point there's no rooms. Yeah, there's and, no rooms. All right, screw it. Yeah, fuck going. it. <laughs> another, do something. Do something. Another fun. year lost. So, uh, what you worked on the late night shows that I wanted to ask you about? Okay. Uh, first of all, was it fun working on The Burn? I love Jeff Ross yes. so much. Yeah, I worked on the first season of that. So great. And then Lopez Tonight. What was that like? Uh, that wasn't a lot. That was not as much fun. <laughs> that was, was kind of. A were drag. they always? Okay, so Lopez Knight was only one season, correct? Or was it two? It was two. Okay, I, two I, I only did one. You did the last season or the first season? I did season? the first. Okay. I felt like with that show, there was always chatter of it being canceled and then it got picked up for a second season. Mm-hmm. And I've, just, I feel like that... I've never worked on a show that was always under the threat of being canceled. Yeah. So what is that tension like? What is the pressure like being on a late night show that's constantly like, you know what, we better do our numbers because it's this indicated, sh- you know, or it's WB. They We got to bring I mean, it. You know, it's, I, I had decided about halfway through that I was going <laughs> to leave at the end of that season uh, because it really wasn't a good fit. I don't know if it was so much that there was a threat of always being canceled as much as there was a constant feeling that they hated everything we were doing and there was mm. so much interference um, and lack of cooperation from the company that was producing the show, and, and not TBS, fr- from fr- from the production company. And it was a lot of people who'd really done well in daytime TV that, that were calling the shots on the show and didn't quite understand what needed to be done on late-night TV. You know, that's what happened with Arsenio's show. Really? Yeah, they yeah. hired a daytime guy to run his show, and then they fired him, 
and hired. Actually, it was the Tavis Smiley guy. He produced Tavis Smiley. Oh, okay. And then they hired a daytime person to, and but that was very successful for Kimmel because Kimmel was launched by a daytime person by Daniel Kellison. Oh, all right. So a lot of late night, a lot of daytime people make that transition, but. I can just tell you, I believe you because I've worked on daytime shows and those are some of the most horrible people you'll ever oh work for. Oh my God. I, I worked with some terrible people at that show. They had not quite a PA, but not quite a producer, a woman who was so nasty to the writers. Oh, I believe it. That one time a writer asked for like no, non-fat milk and she told him to go fuck himself. And we went to complain about her and nothing happened to her. Eventually, one of our guys got fired, and a bunch of us demanded that she get fired, so she was fired. But there were so many people who were openly hostile to the writers on that show. It was I've never been in an environment like that. You know what it is? They, there's this kind of culture of bullying in daytime Okay. Um, where they just want to haze you, and it's like... But it never stops. That's the weird thing. It, like it, it, you can put up with it all your whole the whole season. They're still gonna haze you until you're uh, you become a producer or you. Or it's a way they they're at the bottom of the totem pole in Hollywood. It's like daytime shows and then you know the Kardashians and then snuff films, porn. Like that's the way it goes. <laughs> and it, it they, but but they but they have to assert their you know listen I'm in the business was, and that's why they haze you guys. It was so hostile like. All the talent coordinator people, like the people who would set up the interviews, had their own offices. We were three, four to an office as the writers. Like, just completely treat, treated like crap. Like, from day one, it was very, very odd. And those of us who had late-night experience, all of our suggestions were tossed. And they were putting on cooking segments and kids who made heroic 911 calls on a late-night show. That's retarded. And those are human interest daytime. That's yeah, bullshit. absolutely. And that, you know, nothing wrong with that. That, that has its place. Um, it does not have not its place on 11 o'clock at night. Especially when this show was sold as, we're bringing the party back to late night. And then we have uh, Emeril cooking up and... Uh, uh, and <laughs> Making frittatas. Yeah. And, uh, and then they would tell us stuff like, we don't want recurring segments. You know, and recur you know, late... Running <laughs> bits are... Are the, are the lifeblood of late night shows and it keeps your writers from being horribly burnt out. Like, you know, top 10 lists or things like that. And they would just have us create new material and new segments and new bits all the time and it was i began to develop carpal tunnel working there because i was just cranking out stuff that was never going to see the light of day all the time until the point where i just stopped doing it <laughs> yeah we were like yeah i got nothing yeah <laughs> bye guys you, you can look through the thousands of pages of other stuff i've given you that you haven't even looked at but it was it was yeah it was the, the product the company that produced that show was so hostile to the writers there i've never from day one it was like we didn't even get a chance to act out or it was it's really felt like oh writers are writers suck and you know we're going to do everything in our power to marginalize you and uh but yeah the office situation i ha i shared an office with two guys and one time they had all this this big meeting for us in a conference room and when we got back, they had shoved another writer's desk into our office. Like, they basically distracted <laughs> us because they know we would have raised hell had they done that. But, yeah, it was not a positive experience. What lot were you guys on? <laughs> Warner Brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I was, you know, because I'd never really worked on a fancy movie lot before. But, ugh, I, I I go on there on that lot now and I break out in hives. Oh, I, I have just... PTSD every time I go into the Paramount lot. Was that from Arsenio, too? Dr. Phil. 
Oh, 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 goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I, there was a producer, a PA had been pulling all-nighters like three days in a row, this kid, Danny, and he literally fainted at the copy machine. Oh, my and God. And the producer just stepped over his body, didn't ask if he was okay, did nothing, stepped over his body, and ca- continued doing what he was doing. Oh. Yeah, like, but that's, there's just this bullying that goes on, and that's what the, those women that worked in daytime, they were trying to say, listen, we know what we're doing. Instead of going, hey, let's have a meeting of the minds. Here's what's worked for us in daytime. What's worked for you in nighttime? Let's find a happy meet. Let's see what we can do to complement each other. Instead, that's how I would do it if I were running a show, which is why I'm not a showrunner, because I'm too normal. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that's that's par for the course for daytime. So um, I feel like I haven't asked you enough about Daily Show, and I feel like my audience is going to want to know more about I mean I know that John Stewart well okay I'll tell you a John Stewart story so Juskow our mutual friend Dave Juskow comedian Dave Mm Juskow we were walking through Times Square and we ran into John Stewart Mm -hmm. and Dave was like oh this is my friend Sharon she just started doing comedy and he looked at me he goes don't do it (laughs) (laughs) and we had a laugh Uh (laughs) he was lovely yeah yeah no no, um uh uh I I wonder if I've ever mentioned Juskow to John. I, I don't know if I ever did. I went, for <laughs> Why those, would you? For those, I went to college with Dave Juskow. That, that's how I know him. Oh, and Mike Royce. Yes. And Danny. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, they were all, let, let's make it clear. They were older than me. They are older uh, than you. And they're older than you, but also you weren't in any of their public access. Okay, so. I was. Yeah, I, used, I, I was in a couple of Dave Juskow and Friends on Manhattan Cable Access. You were? Like 1989, 1990. Have Dave you ever sh- seen any of them? Oh, Dave showed me the one with him, Mike Royce, who's now the showrunner of One Day at a Time, everybody, and was mm-hmm. a writer on Raymond, and Danny Vermont, who's a writer on uh, Real, Real Time. Time. Yeah, I, I, but I don't remember. I, it was just Dave, Danny, and Mike, and I laughed so hard. I was like, what I are you I was the reporter t- in the marathon episode. Okay. Where, where, <laughs> Dave, where Dave, Dave ran the New York City Marathon. He jumped in at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> and we have him going across the finish line, and they gave him a medal and put a blanket on him. And he, to Juskow's credit, explained and gave the medal back. So he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't doing a stolen valor thing. But um, but, but yeah, oh, I haven't. I mean, I haven't seen any of them since they aired on public access. But I I know the show had its fans. I assume Dave has them on tape. He does. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, no, John. Uh, yeah, John was kind of my first TV boss ever and uh it gave me a very big break was was um did the showrunners change once john took over after kilborn yeah um not quite well liz winstead who had created it with madeline had left during the kilborn kerfuffle about esquire magazine or something where he said she could blow him or or, you know he's not he's Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but um, but so when I got there, it was Madeline running it with a guy named Rob Fox, and the head writer was a man named uh, Chris Kresge, who did a lot of MTV, uh, MTV remote control uh, game shows, stuff like that. My favorite game show of all time. That's oh, I that, have the board right. version. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd been I'd been doing stand. I'd been working in advertising. I wrote um for uh, Sony Music. I wrote record advertising and radio commercials, stuff like that. But I had been uh, Alex Sulkin. 
who is now my boss at Family Guy, he and I were doing stand-up together, and he gave me Colin Quinn's fax number because he was a PA at SNL at the time. So I started selling jokes to Colin Quinn, and John took over at The Daily Show and wanted some new people there. And he asked Colin, do you know of anybody? And Colin gave him my name, which was really cool. I'd never met Colin at that time. I'd only exchanged voicemails with him. Uh, and uh, But I also knew a writer there and a writer's girlfriend. So I submitted a packet of like 30 jokes and got hired um, based on those. Late night packets are not that easy anymore, and they, they, they they're all, so hard. And they do all this crap where they call you. They say like, "Hey, here's another assignment. Do it by tomorrow morning, just to see if you can do it." I actually turned down a late night job um, a couple of years ago to write monologue because I had submitted packets, and they're like, "Hey, great. Um, the head writer wants to wants you to write some more and give them in tomorrow morning." And I just said no. Because I'm like, you can look at my resume. I obviously haven't cheated my way to this point in my career. Right, right. You know, You're I, like I have five Emmys and two Peabody's. Yeah, you yourself. know, like I, it's obvious I can do this, and I haven't had help. You know, I mean, right. apart from Colin Quinn, uh, my friend whose boyfriend worked on the show, all you know, Just Gal, all the other people who've helped me along in my career. But, um, but yeah, I just submitted what was a pretty simple packet, and then got hired on that. And then there was a lot of turnover after that. Because, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and because uh, John and the Kilborn guys didn't really get along, and uh, there were various firings, and uh, then the head writer he left and was replaced by another guy, and uh, then Rob left as well, and kind of the new head writer that had taken over sort of took his spot, and Madeline stuck around for a while. She left, I think, in 2002. 2004 somewhere around there and uh yeah i took off in 2006 who were the bosses when i left it's hard to remember there's yeah. a, there's always some shuffling around at the top i prefer to uh prefer to stay out of that oh yeah no no <laughs> i get it i the, just the little game of thrones that goes on on the on these shows well it's got to be hard because it's a, a it's a daily show it's political mm-hmm. i mean the hours must have been crazy no they weren't oh nice it, it was a nice nine to five job um and but you know i I can't. I wonder what it's like now with Twitter and with ten other shows doing the same exact thing. Uh, like we were kind of the only game in town. I mean, there was Weekend Update, but mm-hmm. in terms of a talking about the news of the day for four nights a week. Uh, but the thing is, because it was, we had to turn it around. We had to tape at five thirty, so that show had to be done. Mm. And you know, there, it was a pretty big writing staff, like ten or twelve people. And uh, but then when I when I was on the show, it was a bit more of like. We're going to do three stories in the first act, set up punchlines, then some more stories in the second, then there's a guest. Uh, as the show went on, it became a bit more of like kind of long narratives of stories. Uh, we were losing some of the kookier character piece kind of things. And after I left, that's when it became, that's when he was really kind of went in deep with act long Glenn Beck parodies and things like that. So I, I don't know what the schedule is like there now. Um but yeah, in terms of, and I don't know like how you compete with Twitter and how you compete with what Sam B is doing, what John Oliver is doing, and Bill Maher. Seth Meyers, and yeah, it's it must be really hard to. And be, Colbert is using a political slant now on his show. Yeah, and I I think you probably just have to grit your teeth and be like, uh, fuck it, someone's might have the same take on this. Let, let, let's go ahead. But uh, yeah, it's not it's not a world I'd particularly cherish working in now i mean yeah. I, I might wind up back back there i'm not gonna uh i mean i won't work up working for the people who ran lopez tonight obviously uh, <laughs> well who cares after Fuck today. Them. <laughs> um last question um i i've never asked anybody this before do you like la or new york better i like new york better you do yeah why 
I'm from New York. I grew up around New York. Right, that's right. You were um, born in the Bronx. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, we left when I was three. I mean, b- b- before I before I tried to establish too much street cred <laughs> uh, about my about my Bronx roots. Um, uh, I, I grew up about eighty miles north of the city, but um, it's I just I'm an East Coaster. I mean, there are some nice things about here, but um, not the traffic, not the traffic, not the heat, um, not the sprawl. Uh, I just like I like the walkability of New York. Did you keep your place in New York? Uh, I have a place in upstate New York. Oh, in upstate New yeah. York. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I follow you on Instagram and I'm always like, oh, he's back in the snow with his dog. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, how does his dog? I'm always concerned about your dog. I'm always like, is he's he very cold? Small. He's very small, but he seems to do really well with the elements. Yeah, no, no, he's a tough little guy. He's about eight pounds. Uh, he has a variety of sweaters that he wears on the East Coast <laughs> when we're there. But no, he loves it in upstate. Um, we stumbled upon a, a snake. We were there last week I together. I saw that. I saw that. It was terrifying. It was a Eastern hognose snake, also known as a puff adder. And what I didn't know until I researched it afterwards is that when it's threatened, it puffs its head out to look like a cobra. And my dog was a foot away from what I thought was a cobra in upstate oh New York. God. And whenever I see snakes, I literally get a little lightheaded. Like, I swoon. I'm really uncomfortable with them. And it wasn't like I ever had a bad experience with a snake. It's just, ever, even as a child in a backyard and I would see a snake, I'd be terrified. Oh, wow. But I, I scooped him up, and uh, he and I ran away. He, he, wanted, to, he wanted to engage. But, uh, but yeah, I have a place in Sullivan County, which is not where I grew up, but it's about two hours north of the city. It's uh, Sounds lovely. Yeah, I'd like to wind up back in New York again. So you, you prefer it here? Are you from New York? No, I'm from Miami. Oh, okay. So this is my natural habitat here in LA. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. shallow people, hot it's, weather. It's too bright. I, I like the bright. I like it when it gets cloudy here. Like My brother moved to San Francisco recently from LA, and oh, he hates the weather. I'm just like... Oh no! I, I would love that. It's cold all the time and cloudy, and yeah, yeah I can't. Do, I can't. No, I need I, sun, or I get really sad. I thrive, and you know, my twenty-three. I me, do love New York, but yeah, you're twenty-three and me. I yeah. did twenty-three and me, and it certainly indicated that I need to be in that kind of weather. Oh really? <laughs> there was no other. <laughs> there was a tiny slice of Iberian in there, which uh, I assume some Spaniard fell off a boat and swam onto Ireland. But everything else was Ireland and England. And uh, a lot of Neanderthal DNA, which was shocking. Really? I have more Neanderthal DNA than 96% of the population. It doesn't tell you what that means, but um, I don't feel terribly evolved now. (laughs) It's it's kind of a bummer. Um, Yeah. Well, where can people follow you on social media if they want to get to know more about you? I am on Twitter at Chris R. Regan, I think. And I'm on Instagram at C.R. Regan. There's two R's there. Okay, uh, on your Twitter and your Insta, Chris R. Regan yeah. on Twitter and Instagram, C. R. Regan. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you for doing my podcast. Thank you. That flew by. Told you. What an economical use of time for a podcast, especially. <laughs> like some of them go on for hours and hours. Anything I needed to say? Did I get it all out? You got it all out. Okay. Okay.